Hey, it's John, and it's time for the JMart Cast for Monday, August 8th. What's going on, friends and family? Thanks for joining me for another best episode. Hope you've had a great week. Mine's been awesome. Uh, yesterday, I just came back from Niagara on the Lake. Wifey and I went on a little bit of a do-it-yourself wine tour through beautiful Niagara region. It was a lot of fun. We went to the couple of places, Rife and Pondview. I think it was called Pondview uh, Wineries. Uh, Pondview was great. It was really nice uh, set up there uh, where you obviously get uh, wine tasting, but it's done in a beautiful location where it's like an outdoor location. They have a nice big tent set up to um, you know, protect from the sun and everything, but they also had a nice uh, uh, Muskoka chair set up next to a nice little pond. So anyways, had a great week or a great day at the end of the week doing that with wife and came back yesterday and now it's Sunday. So I'm recording the podcast to have it out for tomorrow. Anyways, uh, I'm in a bit of a bad mood right now. Not a bad mood, but I'm a little angry because of this stupid little Forbes article that's out and the title of it is, let me get it right, it says, Stop Taking Vitamin D Already. Shut the hell up, Forbes magazine. You don't know what you're talking about. How about that? Just had last week's episode talking about the benefits of vitamin D and how how important it is for, for overall health. And now Forbes magazine here, because everyone knows Forbes is like the authority to go to for health advice is telling people to stop taking vitamin D already. Shut the hell up. I was, I saw this article and I was like, who the hell is the author of this article? And this, some guy named Steven Salzberg. So I do some research on this guy. And honestly, I'm not that impressed. Uh, you do a little Google search on him. The first thing that pops up, of course, is his Twitter bio. Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing your Twitter bio. Then he's got his Forbes bio. And then the third, finally, link is his Hopkins Medicine uh, link. And I, when you click on that, you get a little spiel of his background. And then you look at his education. And then you realize, wait a minute, this guy doesn't even have... A bachelor of science. He does have a PhD. You look at his thing. He's 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 got a BA in English. Then he's got a, a master of science, I think. Although I'm not sure. It just says MS. Usually it's MSc. Then he's got a master of philosophy, I guess. And then finally, a PhD from 1989. So. Then you look at, okay, what does this guy actually do? It's like, oh, wait a minute. He's not actually a biologist. He's in computer science. All he does is is like computer stuff, like computational stuff, computational biology. It's like, okay, you actually don't know anything about real biology. You're just like working on computers all day. Like you never actually got trained in science. And then now you're writing articles for Forbes, of all places, to tell people to stop taking vitamin D. All right. All right. Let's get into this article and read what this Steven Salzberg, crappy scientist slash author, has to say. This was published pretty recently, August 1st, 2022. And he says... Way back in 2014, I wrote a column about vitamin D supplements explaining why they don't work, 
All right. So right off the bat, he's already talking about how he pretty much already done this before and told people that vitamin D supplements don't work. First of all, what does don't work mean? Okay. People take supplements for a specific reason, for a specific goal. Okay. Are you saying that they don't meet those specific goals? Because everyone's got a lot of different things and different reasons why they're taking vitamin D or certain supplements. Are you saying all of those reasons why they're taking these supplements don't work? Because you're absolutely wrong on that. Right off the bat, first sentence in this article is complete and utter garbage. Moving on. Added vitamin D to my previous list of top five vitamins that you should not take to create a list of six useless vitamin supplements. All right, so this guy hates supplements and vitamins to begin with. He's had a list of six that you shouldn't buy, which, okay, in all fairness, I am not the biggest proponent of people supplementing with vitamins and minerals, but there are some that you absolutely have to, and vitamin D is one of them, right? Vitamin D is one of them because it is, quote-unquote, the sunshine vitamin, right? There are many reasons why you might not be getting enough sunshine for your body to make enough vitamin D for you to be at a optimal level for all the functions in your body to be able to happen with vitamin D present. Remember, vitamin D is involved in over a thousand genes being expressed in your body. Every single cell in your body has a receptor for vitamin D. How could this guy, with this education that he has, he has a Forget the Bachelor of Arts in English. He's got a Master of Science, I think, and a, and a PhD, and he does computational biology. How on earth could this... I'm going to say it. How, how on earth could this idiot, you freaking idiot, Steven Salzberg, how could you say that it is a useless vitamin supplement? You don't know anything. All right, going on, he, has, he says, there's now a massive new study published in the New England Journal of Medicine that reports that I was right all along. Oh, here we go, running in circles, saying I was right, I was right. Taking vitamin D pills isn't good for you. This is what he says. Taking vitamin D pills, according to this study, isn't good for you. All right, that's a complete and utter lie. You open the goddamn article. First of all, the article, you can't have access to the whole thing. All you get access is to the abstract. But if you read through the conclusions of the article that he quotes, it says, Vitamin D3 supplementation did not result in a significantly lower risk of fractures than placebo among generally healthy midlife and older adults who were not selected for vitamin D deficiency, low bone mass, or osteoporosis. All right, so first of all, nowhere in there does it say it's not good for you, right? It just says it didn't have the, uh, like, what do you call it, the significantly lower risk in fractures that we would see if we were supplementing with vitamin D. Okay, but it's not not good for you. It's just in this particular study, when you're trying to look at whether this has a big impact on people having lower risk of fractures, they did not see a a change. But he, he, he like the choice of words is very important here. He says, taking vitamin D pills isn't good for you. Oh, really? You mean like smoking isn't good for you or getting fat and obese isn't good for you, right? Those things are actually not good for you. Taking vitamin D isn't not good for you. At the very worst, it's just a neutral act that you do, okay? It's a neutral thing. You just There's zero, well, not zero risk to taking vitamin D supplementation, but like obviously 
it's very low. You have to take large, large quantities that most people can't or, or won't take to be able to get to a point where you actually do any harm to yourself. All right. So taking vitamin D pills isn't bad for you or is what he's trying to imply, right? He's saying isn't good for you. It is good for you. Depends on what you're trying to accomplish. All right. I'm getting too emotional. I'm going <laughs> to take a deep breath here. Okay. Moving on. I'm going to go and read more of this article just to show how much of a sham of an article this is in the New England Journal of Medicine. I can't even believe believe that they published this, but this is the state of science we're at. Pub- like Things that are being published are just such low-quality articles that like if you don't have the actual training to get a Bachelor of Science like this was his name? Steven Salzberg that doesn't even have, he has a PhD in some shit in some computational biology, but doesn't have a basic bachelor of science where they teach you how to have the critical thinking skills to look at a paper and not just read what the conclusion says, but be able to tell if it makes sense or not. This is what he says, but he's absolutely wrong. Okay. Going on. So he says, so now we've spent millions of dollars on a huge trial, which nearly, which followed nearly 26,000 men and women for more than five years to see if vitamin D supplements would do anything to prevent bone fractures. The result, people who took vitamin D had exactly the same risk of bone fractures as those who didn't. It didn't matter how much vitamin D they took, nor did it help if they also took supplement, supplemental calcium. Okay. First of all, just going to pause here before uh, I finish off reading his article. He says, it didn't matter how much vitamin D they took. Okay, well, if you go and read the goddamn article, there's only one dose given. Everybody throughout the trial was given 2,000 international units of vitamin D3 per day. They didn't check what anyone's blood levels were to get a baseline. They didn't check if doing 2,000 international units of vitamin D3 per day actually changed their blood levels, none of that. And it didn't alter the the amount that they're giving to people based on what like their situation is. Some people are older, some people are younger. You need different amounts. Some people are fatter, some people are thinner. You need different amounts. Some people are more active, some people are less active. You need different amounts. None of that was taken into account. Just going to take a straight across broad brush line across everybody saying, you need 2,000 IUs per day, you need 2,000 IUs per day, and we're all the same. Reminds me of something, right? Reminds me of the, (sighs) hate bringing a vaccine into this, but like, just like same as the vaccine, right? You're all the same. You're a healthy, young, COVID's probably not going to matter for you, you get the vaccine. You're old, you're got a weak immune system, you're barely hanging on by the thread, (laughs) vaccines for you too everyone's the same everyone gets the same thing right same 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 as here doesn't doesn't matter what like circumstance you're in what your context is you just get the same amount of vitamin d3 and let's just see what happens by the way 2000 ius per day is a very low amount is nothing is basically nothing that's not going to do not going to do anything that's that's not true 2000 ius per day might increase your blood levels of vitamin D3 slightly, not enough to actually make a big difference. But who cares about 
facts and actually things that, I, that, that really matter for real. Who, who cares about objectivity and reality? We just live in this stupid subjective world where we just want to tell people to be unhealthy because that's how, that's the easiest way to keep people in control, subdued, listening, and being fearful. God forbid we tell them to be healthy, to be confident, and be able to question the narrative. God forbid that. Okay. Sorry. Jesus Christ. I'm really worked up this week, guys. <laughs> Let me just finish off what he's saying here. So he said, didn't matter how much vitamin D they took, although they all took the same amount. And it didn't help. As he says, it didn't help people who had relatively low levels of vitamin D either. Uh, oh, okay. So he's he's a, acknowledging in this part here that maybe vitamin D supplementation might be more important for people who actually have low levels of vitamin D. So you didn't shouldn't just take a random group of twenty five thousand people where we don't know what their levels of vitamin D are and give them the same amount across the board. It actually matters what their endogenous levels are. He's he's making that concession here. Anyways, he says vitamin D supplements. Supplements just didn't make any difference to anyone. Okay, so now he's saying it didn't make any difference to anyone, but before he was saying it's not good for you. All right, so he's changing his story back and forth, back and forth. All right, what does he say next? He says, we should stop taking vitamin D, but there's more. In an editorial accompanying the new study, Stephen Cummings and Clifford Rosen point out that more than 10 million serum 25 hydroxyvitamin D tests are performed annually in the United States. He says, these tests add costs to our already exorbitant healthcare system and they don't provide patients with any benefit. Again, a sentence of complete and utter garbage that makes zero sense. First of all, 10, 000, 10,025 hydroxyvitamin D tests. First of all, a 25 hydroxyvitamin D test is the blood test you, you do to check how much vitamin D you have in your blood to know if you're at an optimal level or deficient. Um, for 25 hydroxyvitamin D3, if your levels are between 30 and 80 nanograms per milliliter, you're in an optimal range. And if you're below 20 nanograms per milliliter, you're deficient. Now, I believe the population of the US is over 300 million. And then annually, this person says there are 10 million tests done in the United States. That seems like not that crazy, right? One in 30 people are getting their vitamin D tests measured once a year that's completely fine like what the hell are you talking about uh and then he says these tests add costs to our already exorbitant healthcare system first of all i don't know what their healthcare system is like but i know it's not like in canada where it's like a public healthcare system everybody pays for this shit privately if someone wants to get their vitamin d test done in the u.s they pay out of pocket they should be allowed to do that that has zero impact on the healthcare system in terms of making it uh um uh, I don't know, more difficult to provide good healthcare? Like, not at all. If, in, 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 if anything, it provides, like he says, they don't provide patients with any benefit. Of course they do. Of course they do. When you do a vitamin D test, you actually know whether you're deficient or you're in the optimal range. If you're, on the, if you're in the optimal range and you feel good, then yeah, you don't need to supplement with more vitamin D or you can just do your regular activities that you're already doing, getting outside and getting enough uh, sun that way. You don't need to change your behavior. But if you find out you're deficient, then yeah, this is very beneficial information to get and you should get tested, find out where you're deficient and if you're deficient, either get outside and get more sun or start supplementing. 
it's like it doesn't take a freaking genius to figure this shit out. But goddamn Steven Salzberg here, what's his name? Yeah, Steven Salzberg, freaking idiot without a Bachelor of Science but has a PhD somehow, is telling people not to get, not to supplement vitamin D and then not to test your levels of vitamin D to see if you need to supplement. What a fucking idiot. Sorry. God damn it. And then, of course, he finishes off all this, like, I'm not reading the whole article, by the way. I'm just reading excerpts here. And then finishes off the article, shitting on vitamin D all this time. And then he's got to have a cover-your-ass paragraph at the end here. He says, finally, I should point out that although routine supplementation is worthless and megadoses of vitamin D vitamins can be harmful, if you think you have a vitamin deficiency, consult with your doctor. Serious vitamin deficiencies might be the result of other health problems that your doctor can help you address, and treatments for specific conditions or diseases may include vitamins. Oh, thank you, goddamn idiot Steven Salzberg, for for letting us know that, oh, maybe we should consult our doctor so that the doctor can tell us, because we can't figure out ourselves, because we're too dumb. Only the doctor can tell us whether we need to supplement or not. Oh, man. I hope I never meet you, Steven Salzberg. You're 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 a waste of oxygen when you breathe it in. All right. Walk into an ocean and keep walking. Never walk back. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm just so pissed off about this. Let's just go go to the let's go to the goddamn article that he he says. Oh, this is a new article of twenty five thousand people or whatever that proves. Over 26, almost 26,000 people. That proves that vitamin D is completely useless. Well, let's take a look at what they actually did. Okay? So, first of all, the title of the article is Supplemental Vitamin D and Incident Fractures in Midlife and Older Adults. So, the abstract goes, first background, vitamin D supplements are widely recommended for bone health in general population, but data on whether they prevent fractures has been inconsistent. Methods. In an ancillary study of the vitamin D and omega-3 trial named VITAL, we tested whether supplemental vitamin D, vitamin D3 specifically, would result in a lower risk of fractures than placebo. VITAL has 2 by 2 factorial randomized controlled trial that investigated whether supplemental vitamin D3 of 2,000 international units per day and omega-3 fatty acids such as 1 gram per day or both would prevent cancer and cardiovascular disease in men 50 years of age or older and women 55 years of age or older in the U.S. Participants were not recruited on the basis of vitamin D deficiency, low bone mass, or osteoporosis. All right, so what they're basically saying is that they're doing this major uh, study called VITAL that they've named, and in this study they're looking at three situations, people who don't supplement at all, people who supplement with either just vitamin D3 or just omega-3 acids, fatty acids, or people who supplement both. And the main point of the study is to look at whether this supplementation is helpful in preventing cancer or cardiovascular disease, but they're also doing this ancillary study, additional study, to look at the impact of the supplementation on risk of fracture compared to a placebo. But again, they're only trying a single dose, a low single dose of vitamin D3. Um, 
I'm not exactly sure about the uh, level of the omega-3 fatty acid, whether that's a reasonable dose or not, but I can for sure say that the vitamin D3 dose is, first of all, low. There's no range of doses. Everyone's getting the same amount based on like nothing, basically, just based on whether you exist. Do you exist? Then you get the same dose. There's no uh, stratification whatsoever. So right off the bat, you can already tell this is a garbage study. But they're using this to prove to people that, you know, vitamin D3 supplementation has no impact on, on bone health, I guess, on preventing fractures. Oh, and they're just using anyone willy-nilly. Well, not anyone. You've got to be older than 50 for men for some reason and 55 for women. I don't know why there's an age discrepancy there between men and women. I guess maybe because women live longer on average, so they chose to have a higher cutoff for women. So it's got to be somewhat middle-aged and older people. But it doesn't matter what your vitamin D like levels are doesn't matter if you have low bone mass or osteoporosis any of the risk factors that would actually be make you be vulnerable to like having fractures happen to having a high risk of fracture none of that just just take regular people off the street and see if vitamin d supplementation low levels of vitamin d supplementation does anything and then how do they actually um uh, collect the information well they did um Incident fractures were reported by participants on annual questionnaires. Okay, so once a year, we're going to ask the people who have been supplementing low levels of vitamin D3 whether they remember if they had any fractures and write it down. This is, this is how the data is collected. Can, can you see what could go wrong here? Can you see how this, potentially the results of this published article are complete and utter garbage i'm gonna keep using that phrase (sighs) and yeah surprise surprise that's exactly what happened they had about almost twenty six thousand participants divided about 20 like 1300 13,000 each in each arm Um, and in terms of the number of uh, fractures there was 1991 fractures in 1,551 participants, so some of the people got multiple fractures, and then, um, yeah, there's no difference in terms of people who were uh, supplementing or not. 769 participants who were supplementing with vitamin D had fractures, and 782 who were just in the placebo group also had fractures, so not a big difference there, but it's like, yeah, it's no surprise. It's just a group of middle-aged people who are not necessarily at a high risk of fracture and are just getting all the same low levels of vitamin D straight across the board, of course you're not going to see a difference. This is the dumbest study I've ever seen for supporting why you shouldn't supplement with vitamin D3. And for someone to take this and say, for sure, now we have the information to prove that we don't need to like take vitamin D3, that person is either lying or they're stupid. Okay, so what is his name again? Steven Salzberg, you POS, you're either a liar or you're really, really dumb for someone who has a PhD. So get your shit together and stop telling people to take vitamin D. And I'm not the person to tell people to take supplements and vitamins, but vitamin D is the main one. It's the only one that I'm like, 
in the wintertime, you have to supplement. And don't just supplement with the shitty little 1,000 IU recommendation that's told to people. That's, that's, that's nothing. That's not going to move the needle at all. If you're actually vitamin D deficient, 1,000 IUs a day is not going to make a big impact for you at all. It's not going to make a difference. You're not going to feel any better taking vitamin D3, just 1,000 IUs. You got to take larger doses. And in order to find out how much you need to take, you need to test your blood, okay? And don't listen to what this guy says in saying that testing blood levels of vitamin D3 is a waste of time and provides no value. It, it, it's the most valuable thing you could be doing if you're actually interested in knowing what your vitamin D3 levels are. Oh, by the way, this article came out in August 1st of this year, so just six days ago, and then they pro- I think they got a big backlash from people being like, what the, f- what the hell are you doing, Forbes, telling people to stop taking vitamin D3? So they, they came out with another, another article just a day ago, I believe, or two days ago now, it's August 4th, um, where it's uh, Forbes again, your guide to vitamin D benefits, best sources, and more. So they're trying to cover their ass a little bit here. Oh, maybe you should take be getting vitamin D. But here's what they say. Um, editor's note, this article largely focuses on vitamin D as a natural nutrient, including the roles it plays in the human body and where to source it from, not vitamin D supplements. So they're just like on this anti-vitamin D supplement um, narrative or kick on Forbes for some reason. I don't know why. Like I... Obviously, the best way to get vitamin D is through exposing your body through sunshine, but there are a large number of reasons for why that's not going to be enough. In fact, some of this article covers it. They go on to say, um, here we go, Uh, people could be at risk of vitamin D deficiency and therefore supplementation might be uh, beneficial. Those people include people who live in climates with less sunlight. Oh, by the way, that's Canadians. That's a lot of the U.S. where Forbes is from. A large part of the Pacific North, not Pacific Northwest, the the Northeast, sorry, like New York and all that, they barely get any sunlight, right? So why would Forbes be telling these people to not take vitamin D supplementation when they do live in a climate with less sunlight? I don't know. They also pay people who don't naturally get much sun exposure, like indoor people, right? Those people, older populations who require more vitamin D daily, they probably should supplement. This is all according to Forbes. People with darker skin, as they don't synthesize vitamin D from the sun as easily, also true, right? Melanin blocks the sunlight and doesn't let it enter the skin and uh, cause the chain reaction that synthesizes vitamin D. And you know what's a very, very important one that they totally missed on this stupid Forbes article about people who could be at risk of vitamin D deficiency, which is very important for the United States, but they make zero note here in this article, overweight, obese people. Not a single mention of being overweight or obese and being vitamin D deficient possibly, right? It's not that uh, obese or overweight people can't make vitamin D. It's the fact that vitamin D is a fat-soluble hormone which then gets stuck in the larger amount of fat tissue available on an obese person and does not get released and become bioavailable in the bloodstream. That's why. Not a single mention of this, yet the United States is one of the most obese, overweight populations out there, but we're not going to tell them to lose weight or get to a healthy weight because 
We're all about being body positive. You're beautiful in any shape you are. It doesn't matter that you can barely breathe as you're walking up the stairs and you sound like you're about to cough up a lung. That's not important. What's important is that we're being body positive. And I am so pissed off this, this week about all this garbage. Sorry about my emotions, but I can't believe... I can't believe what I'm seeing. Like the world has gone completely upside down. It doesn't make sense anymore to me. And this is just the, I don't know, the latest fucking straw that's about to collapse the camel. <laughs> However that phrase goes. All right, I'm, I'm done bitching about vitamin D and and like all this bad advice that Forbes magazine that has nothing to do with health to begin with is giving people advice on. And this idiot Steven Salzberg, who apparently has a PhD, but can't even do basic freaking analysis on a paper to tell you how like incorrect the conclusions that, that the paper comes out with are to reality. But anyway, go check for yourselves. going to move on now. Not a very smooth transition here, but we're going to go into the Bitcoin part of the part of the show. I'm going to do a quick little Bitcoin update. Let's see what block height are we on? Let's go to bitbo.io. We are on block height 748,422. One Bitcoin is trading at 23,258 US dollars. One US cockpuck dollar can buy you 4,299 Satoshis. Satoshis are the smallest subunit of a Bitcoin. Each Bitcoin can be subdivided into 100 million Satoshis. If you're in Canada and you would like to purchase some Bitcoin, one of the best and easiest places to do that is ShakePay. They're a great exchange, great Canadian exchange that make it very easy. You do have to give some of your personal information to them in order to be able to exchange your fiat dollars for Bitcoin. But that is a worthwhile trade-off in my opinion right now because uh, I think that ShakePay is a very reputable company because I have some personal experience meeting the people who work there. I could be wrong on that, but for now, I'm using them, and I have a referral link. <laughs> referral link. So, if you would like to purchase some Bitcoin, use my referral link from the description of this podcast. And there's, uh, I think, a ten dollar, I don't know, benefit or something bonus that you get for signing up through my referral link. So, Bitcoin. How is Bitcoin doing? Well. It is quite a bit off of the all-time highs, which were around 69, 70,000. We're down to 23,000 as the value per one Bitcoin. But ultimately, if we're going to compare, like it's still doing pretty good compared to like two years ago. If we look at July or August of 2020, two years ago, right? August of 2020, what are we doing at? We were trading at 11,000, almost nearly 12,000. Okay, so two years later, we're at 23,000. So that's doubling the value in two years. Yes, there's a lot of volatility. Yes, there's a lot of up and down. But like, if you just take a short two-year frame to look at this, you're like, oh, in two years, you can double the value. (laughs) All right. 
sounds like a good deal to me, but why you get into Bitcoin again is not the reason the number go up technology in terms of the value going up is not the reason why I got into Bitcoin, why I suggest other people get into it. The reason is, is, is because Bitcoin is censorship resistant. No one can stop you from using it. There's a capped supply. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. There's never going to be more. And uh, it's open for anyone to join in. There's not a single person that's going to be stopped from using Bitcoin. Remember when in Canada we had those trucker protests and people who donated to the trucker protests, their uh, their bank accounts got frozen? Remember that when that happened? Um yeah, I, I remember because I was pretty shocked that that could happen in a first world country like Canada, but it did, but it can't happen to someone using Bitcoin because it's open, censorship resistant, and there's a cap supply. Those are the three most important things about it, at least what I can think of right now, but that make it special that are much more important than the actual value of it going up. Of course, the value of it going up is important too. We don't want the value to go down to zero, but it's not going to go down to zero because there are millions of people using this technology and participating in it in many ways, whether that be actually using it as a medium in exchange and you know buying and selling things such as myself. I sell my services for Bitcoin or whether it be people who are mining Bitcoin with all this hardware that have like thousands and thousands of machines in like these warehouses where they're you know they're like data centers basically running all this equipment like that's not going away any anytime soon so all of that exists but what did i want to talk about specifically about bitcoin this year this week i found this really interesting thread where it was talking about bitcoin and doing a little bit of a comparison to fire this is a thread by a an account on Twitter at level 39. The numbers three and nine. Letters level and the numbers three nine. This is what this guy has to say. Those who understand Bitcoin liken it to the discovery of fire. But did you know that 5,300 years ago, it was possible to make fire portable and hold it in a quote wallet? The technology that made this possible was the Tinder polypore mushroom. The tinder polypore fungus allowed for the portability of fire. One could hollow this mushroom out, put growing embers of fire in it, and the fire would smolder for days, allowing it to be transported over distances. They got a picture of the mushroom here. You know those mushrooms you every once in a while see like uh, growing on the side of a tree and it's kind of like, it almost look, looks like a half an umbrella sticking out. Like, I think that's that. Yeah, that's that's the fungus that, that he's talking about for transporting fire. in. he says, if a clan could not keep fire burning, that clan would perish. So these mushrooms were instrumental technology for human survival, especially in cold and or wet weather. They actually have a video here that you can um, click on that shows how to start a fire with this mushroom. Very interesting. I'll take a look at that later. Then they go on to say, Tinder fungus is found in Europe. Asia, Africa, and North America. It was even found in a fire starting kit on the body of Otzi, the 5,300-year-old natural mummy who was discovered in 1991, well-preserved in ice on the border of Austria and Italy. I think I've heard of this. Oh, man, they actually have a picture of this. You can see the well-preserved 
bones of this Otsi, I guess, 5,300-year-old mummy. Very cool. So this guy had this uh, fire-starting kit made of that he would use a mushroom for. Very cool. Otsi's kit included flint and pyrite to make sparks that could easily ignite the fungus. The ability to transport fire changed the game for human mobility. One could carry fire and quickly set up camp and cook a meal in minutes. Tinder fungus was essential to human to humans, but ultimately is a parasite that kills trees that it infects. This is an important reminder not to get too distracted by overblown environmental fears. Whatever trees are rotted by these polypores is well worth the convenience. Fire was almost certainly feared by early hominids. Its benefits not well understood. It is inconceivable that hominids grasped that fire would power civilization and unlock nutrients for larger brains. Hominids that refused to experiment with fire were at a great disadvantage. There's a parallel between modern humans holding Bitcoin in portable wallets and early humans carrying fire portable in a Tinder polypore quote-unquote wallet. Both are human-altering technologies that few understand at first. If you're someone who thinks that Bitcoin is something to be traded away for fiat money, you've not taken the time to understand the magnitude of the discovery before you today. If you are someone who thinks that Bitcoin, Bitcoin's 0.19% of global emissions is a reason to avoid its leap in human progress, you are the equivalent of an ancient who refused to use a life-saving, fire-starting polypore because a few trees were rotted by its mycelium. <laughs> Interesting. I'm trying to make the connection. So I guess there's a whole, uh, I guess, side of Bitcoin where people criticize it for using up too much energy and they're saying it's bad for me, for the environment. And he's trying to make the parallel to, I guess, early hominids being like, oh, this polypore is killing the trees. It can't be good. <laughs> I'm not going to use it. <laughs> uh, interesting parallel. I'm not sure I quite agree with the parallel, but it's interesting to read about anyway. All right, moving on. He says, if you're someone who, convince, who convinces others not to use Bitcoin and intentionally exaggerates its externalities for your own personal benefit, you are the small-brained hominid convincing others not to evolve and cook food with fire. <laughs> Interesting. But if you are someone with an open mind who is eager to learn, who can take the time and explore what Bitcoin has to offer civilization as well as for you and for your future generations, Bitcoin will surprise you. It will enlighten your senses and challenge you to think in ways you never thought possible. There's no better time than the present to dive down the rabbit hole and discover fire, or in this case, Bitcoin. Carry it with you and share it with others. Great little thread here. Mostly agree with what he's saying, but uh, yeah, I think at some point I want to talk about the whole mining aspect of Bitcoin and how, you know, that requires energy to mine new Bitcoin and how, you know, it's not actually a necessarily a wasteful uh, thing to do to be using energy to create new Bitcoin and how it could be actually be the best thing we could be doing as opposed to just creating money out of thin air without any, uh, you know, input of costs for creating said money. But I'm pretty deep into the podcast already, probably due to ranting too much early on from the beginning. I'm like, looks like I'm almost 40 minutes in, so I'm going to cut it off here. 
And thank you all for listening in to another episode. If you want to help out the podcast, please give it a rating either on Spotify or on Apple. If you want to help it out even more, please share it with a friend. Let them know how much you like it. Share a specific episode that you thought was, was good. That would be the best way. I want to grow this podcast and help as many people as I can to learn about health and learn about Bitcoin. Appreciate you all. Have a great day. As always, stay active. Be grateful. Jmart 2.0.